Part six of Phaedo by Plato. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Bob Newfound. Phaedo by Plato. Translated by Benjamin Jowett. Part six. When I was young, Sabbies, I had a prodigious desire to know that department of philosophy which is called the investigation of nature, to know the causes of things, and why a thing is, and is created or destroyed, appeared to me to be a lofty profession, and I was always agitating myself with the consideration of questions such as these. Is the growth of animals the result of some decay which the hot and cold principle contracts, as some have said? Is the blood the element with which we think, or the air, or the fire, or perhaps nothing of the kind? But the brain may be the originating power of the perceptions of hearing, and sight, and smell, and, and memory and opinion may come from them, and science may be based on memory and opinion when they have attained fixity and then i went on to examine the corruption of things and then to the things of heaven and earth and at last i concluded myself to be utterly and absolutely incapable of these inquiries as i will satisfactorily prove to you for i was fascinated by them to such a degree that my eyes grew blind to things which i had seemed to myself and also to others to know quite well I forgot what I had before thought self-evident truths. For example, such a fact as that the growth of man is the result of eating and drinking. For when, by the digestion of food, flesh is added to flesh and bone to bone, and whenever there is an aggregation of congenial elements, the lesser bulk becomes larger, and the small man great. Was not that a reasonable notion? yes said sebes i think so well but let me tell you something more there was a time when i thought that i understood the meaning of greater and less pretty well and when i saw a great man standing by a little one i fancied that one was taller than the other by a head or one horse would appear to be greater than any other horse and still more clearly did i seem to perceive that ten is two more than eight and that two cubits are more than one, because two is the double of one. "'And what is now your notion of such matters?' said Sebes. "'I should be far enough from imagining,' he replied, "'that I knew the cause of any of them. By heaven I should. For I cannot satisfy myself that when one is added to one, the one to which the addition is made becomes two or that the two units added together make two by reason of the addition i cannot understand how when separated from the other each of them was one and not two and now when they are brought together the mere juxtaposition or meeting of them should be the cause of their becoming two neither can i understand how the division of one is the way to make two for then a different cause would produce the same effect as in the former instance the addition and juxtaposition of one to one was the cause of two in this the separation and subtraction of one from the other would be the cause 
nor am I any longer satisfied that I understand the reason why one or anything else is either generated or destroyed, or is at all, but I have in my mind some confused notion of a new method, and can never admit the other. Then I heard some one reading, as he said from a book of Anaxagoras, that mind was the disposer and cause of all, and I was delighted at this notion which appeared quite admirable, and I said to myself, If mind is the disposer, mind will dispose all for the best, and put each particular in the best place. And I argued that if any one desired to find out the cause of the generation, or destruction, or existence of anything, he must find what state of being, or doing, or suffering was best for that thing and therefore a man had only to consider the best for himself and others. Then he would also know the worse, since the same science comprehended both. And I rejoiced to think that I had found in Anaxagoras a teacher of the causes of existence such as I desired, and I imagined that he would tell me first whether the earth is flat or round, and whichever was true, he would proceed to explain the cause and the necessity of this being so, and then he would teach me the nature of the best, and show that this position was the best, and I should be satisfied with the explanation given, and not want any other sort of cause. And I thought that I would then go on and ask him about the sun and moon and stars, and that he would explain to me their comparative swiftness and their returnings in various states, active and passive, and how all of them were for the best. For I could not imagine that when he spoke of mind as the disposer of them, he would give any other account of their being as they are, except that this was best. And I thought that when he had explained to me in detail the cause of each and the cause of all, he would go on to explain to me what was the best for each, and what was good for all. These hopes I would not have sold for a large sum of money, and I seized the books, and read them as fast as I could in my eagerness to know the better and the worse. What expectations I had formed, and how grievously was I disappointed! As I proceeded, I found my philosopher altogether forsaking mind or any other principle of order, but having recourse to air and ether and water and other eccentricities. I might compare him to a person who began by maintaining generally that mind is the cause of the actions of Socrates, but who, when he endeavoured to explain the causes of my several actions in detail, went on to show that I sit here because my body is made up of bones and muscles. The bones, as he would say, are hard, and have joints which divide them, and the muscles are elastic, and they cover the bones, which have also a covering or environment of flesh and skin which contains them. And as the bones are lifted at their joints by the contraction or relaxation of the muscles, I am able to bend my limbs. This is why I am sitting here in a curved posture. This is what he would say, and he would have a similar explanation of my talking to you, which he would attribute to sound and air and hearing, and he would assign ten thousand other causes of the same sort, 
forgetting to mention the true cause, which is, that the Athenians have thought fit to condemn me, and accordingly I have thought it better and more right to remain here and undergo my sentence, for I am inclined to think that these muscles and bones of mine would have gone off long ago to Megara or Boeotia, but by the dog they would, if they had been moved only by their own idea of what was best, and if I had not chosen the better and nobler part, instead of playing truant and running away, of enduring any punishment which the state inflicts. There is surely a strange confusion of causes and conditions in all this. It may be said, indeed, that without bones and muscles and the other parts of the body I cannot execute my purposes, but to say that I do as I do because of them, and that this is the way in which mind acts, and not from the choice of the best, is a very careless and idle mode of speaking. I wonder that they cannot distinguish the cause from the condition which the many, feeling about in the dark, are always mistaking and misnaming. And thus one man makes a vortex all round and steadies the earth by the heaven, another gives the air as a support to the earth, which is a sort of bread-trough. Any power which, in arranging them as they are, arranges them for the very best, never enters into their minds, and instead of finding any superior strength in it, they rather expect to discover another atlas of the world, who is stronger and more everlasting and more containing than the good. Of the obligatory and containing power of the good they think nothing, and yet this is the principle which I would fain learn if any one would teach me. But as I have failed either to discover myself, or to learn of any one else the nature of the best, I will exhibit to you, if you like, what I have found to be the second-best mode of inquiring into the cause. I should very much like to hear, he replied. Socrates proceeded. I thought that as I had failed in the contemplation of true existence, I ought to be careful that I did not lose the eye of my soul, as people may injure their bodily eye by observing and gazing on the sun during an eclipse unless they take the precaution of only looking at the image reflected in the water or in some similar medium. So, in my own case, I was afraid that my soul might be blinded altogether if I looked at things with my eyes, or tried to apprehend them by the help of the senses, and I thought that I had better have recourse to the world of mind, and seek there the truth of existence. I dare say that the simile is not perfect, for I am very far from admitting that he who contemplates existences through the medium of thought sees them only through a glass darkly, any more than he who considers them in action and operation. However, this was the method which I adopted. I first assumed some principle which I judged to be the strongest, and then I affirmed as true whatever seemed to agree with this whether relating to the cause or to anything else, and that which disagreed I regarded as untrue. But I should like to explain my meaning more clearly, as I do not think that you as yet understand me. No, indeed, replied Sebi, not very well. well. There is nothing new, he said, in what I am about to tell you. 
but only what I have been always and everywhere repeating in the previous discussion and on other occasions. I want to show you the nature of that cause which has occupied my thoughts. I shall have to go back to those familiar words which are in the mouth of every one, and first of all assume that there is an absolute beauty and goodness and greatness and the like. Grant me this, and I hope to be able to show you the nature of the cause, and to prove the immortality of the soul. You may proceed at once with the proof, for I grant you this. Well, he said, then I should like to know whether you agree with me in the next step, for I cannot help thinking, if there be anything beautiful other than absolute beauty, should there be such, that it can be beautiful only in as far as it partakes of absolute beauty, and I should say the same of everything. Do you agree in this notion of the cause? Yes, he said, I agree. He proceeded. I know nothing, and can understand nothing, of any other of those wise causes which are alleged. And if a person says to me that the bloom of colour, or form, or any such thing is a source of beauty, I leave all that, which is only confusing to me, and simply, and singly, and perhaps foolishly, hold, and am assured in my own mind, that nothing makes a thing beautiful but the presence and participation of beauty in whatever way or manner obtained. For as to the manner, I am uncertain, but I stoutly contend that by beauty all beautiful things become beautiful. This appears to me to be the safest answer which I could give, either to myself or to another, and to this I cling, in the persuasion that this principle will never be overthrown, and that to myself, or to any one who asks the question, I may safely reply that by beauty beautiful things become beautiful. Do you not agree with me? I do. And that by greatness only great things become great and greater greater, and by smallness the less become less. True. Then, if a person were to remark that A is taller by a head than B, and B less by a head than A, you would refuse to admit his statement, and would stoutly contend that what you mean is only that the greater is greater by and by reason of greatness, and the less is less only by and by reason of smallness. And thus you would avoid the danger of saying that the greater is greater, and the less less by the measure of the head which is the same in both, and would also avoid the monstrous absurdity of supposing that the greater man is greater by reason of the head, which is small. You would be afraid to draw such an inference, would you not? <laughs> Indeed I should, said Sebes, laughing. In like manner you would be afraid to say that ten exceeded eight by and by reason of two but would say by and by reason of number, or you would say that two cubits exceeded one cubit not by a half, but by a magnitude, for there is the same liability to error in all these cases. Very true, he said. Again, would you not be cautious of affirming that the addition of one to one, or the division of one, is the cause of two? 
and you would loudly asseverate that you know of no way in which anything comes into existence except by participation in its own proper essence and consequently as far as you know the only cause of two is the participation in duality this is the way to make two and the participation in one is the way to make one you would say i will let alone puzzles of division and addition wiser heads than mine may answer them inexperienced as i am and ready to start as the proverb says at my own shadow i cannot afford to give up the sure ground of a principle and if any one assails you there you would not mind him or answer him until you have seen whether the consequences which follow agree with one another or not and when you are further required to give an explanation of this principle you would go on to assume a higher principle and a higher until you found a resting-place in the best of the higher but you would not confuse the principle and the consequences in your reasoning like the eristics at least if you wanted to discover real existence not that this confusion signifies to them who never care or think about the matter at all for they have the wit to be well pleased with themselves however great may be the turmoil of their ideas but you if you are a philosopher will certainly do as i say what you say is most true said simeus and sebes both speaking at once yes phido and i do not wonder at their assenting any one who has the least sense will acknowledge the wonderful clearness of socrates reasoning certainly echocrates and such was the feeling of the whole company at the time yes and equally of ourselves who were not of the company and are now listening to your recital but what followed end of part six